Uh, for the eagle-eyed among you, you will recognize that I am not Tom Creedy, um, which will come as a great disappointment to most of you, I'm sure. Uh, Tom Creedy, who was supposed to be preaching this morning, Fantastic, as long as it's not me. Um, Tom Creedy, who was supposed to be preaching this morning, ridiculously went and had a baby yesterday. I mean, him. Do you want me to move? Am I all right? Should I move back, forward, stand on my head? Um, yeah, Olive, Olive, Olive Creedy, Friday. Oh, for goodness sake, he had plenty of opportunity to preach. Um, I didn't realize that. Is that ringing stopped? Yeah, stopped. Is that, is that better? Like I feel like I my move, something happens. What? Is that better? Don't get Mike on the sound desk. What I mean by that is he's teasing me and he's gonna like, he's gonna put special effects on or something. It'll be like, sort of, suddenly you'll get Dr. That's <laughs> <laughs> gonna drive you in the bed. Is that better? I know, but. What am I doing wrong? It's nice. Is that all right? Is that better? Sorry, it's just these things irritate me. But anyway, uh, anyway, Tom Creedy was supposed to be preaching. He's had a baby, so he um, was supposed to send me his notes. Um, that didn't happen uh, in quite the way that we'd expected. So um, I'm stepping in, uh, and. Um, Good luck uh, to you all um, on for what we're about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Um, yeah, exactly. If you've got a Bible, turn me to Isaiah 61. Last, if you were here last week, Tom preached from this para, this section in Luke 4. But I just thought we'd start here. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word. We ask that you administer it to us and speak to us through the scriptures um, this morning. Um, have you ever noticed how people's hearts are sort of softened um, when you talk about the work that the church, just in general, does specifically amongst the, the poor or the broken or the needy? You know, one of the things that we've often found is that people's attitude towards church can sometimes change. When we talk about how the church 
you know, is, being, is involved in serving uh, local people in need through things like ministries like the food bank or um, job club. Do you all remember job club? You know, that used to happen at the yard. Peter Hawke set it up. It was just this fantastic ministry serving local people, helping them uh, find a job, get their CVs together. And then COVID kind of brought a halt to it, a temporary halt, I hasten to add. Uh, we are looking at ways in which we can get that up and running again. But something happens to people when they hear how other people, maybe not too dissimilar to themselves, maybe just desperate for the basics, get this incredibly warm welcome at something like Food Bank and then enough food to get them through a tight spot. Their whole um, attitude shifts when they hear about the way uh, so many of you have volunteered um, and, and think about different ways in which you can serve those people in need. Just this past week on Wednesday, our food bank at the yard, and the yard is like our shop premises, it's a community space, it's, if you knock that wall down, it's about a five minute walk uh, over on the Ashburton Estate. Our food bank, uh, Mike and the team opened up the food bank uh, to in-person face-to-face meetings for the first time in over 18 months. Food bank has carried on running all the way through COVID, uh, but it's been a delivery only um, service, but now we're doing face-to-face -face again, and it was fantastic to be there on Wednesday. And, and this really sweet young chap came in, um, and he was telling me how just over a year ago, he was um, sofa surfing, he lives locally, sofa surfing, a crack a cocaine addict, really not doing well with his life by his own admission, struggling to get by. But one of his friends, I don't know who, but one of his friends, I, I think realized that his life was pretty much out of control, um, told him about Jesus and said, uh, I think you probably need Jesus in your life. Um, and so this chap who's at Food Bank, having tried everything else, tried Jesus and um, invited in, him into his life and hasn't touched drugs since, which was fantastic. He's, he's, now, he's now part of a local church. Uh, he's, getting, he's got this clothing upscaling business that he's getting off the ground. He does these fantastic designs. He was showing me all these photographs and these pictures of these designs that he's done. And as he left the yard on Wednesday, he was just, he kept saying, this place is really amazing. This place is really amazing. It's like so amazing being here. Everyone's so friendly. Everyone's so kind. And he was, he was saying, it's, it's like, this place is like a little piece of heaven on earth. And we've heard that before about the yard. The yard, this little piece of heaven on earth, which when you look at it, you wouldn't necessarily think it. But why is it that people respond in these ways when they see the church caring in ways that show compassion and mercy towards those in need? And I think it's because deep down, they, they just know that it's, that it's right. You know, it's, it's just. It's just the way that things should be. It's the way that things ought to be. And deep down, it's because I think it's what's in their hearts as well, whether they know Jesus or not. And I think if you read the Bible, you very quickly see that it's in the heart of Jesus too, because we see from the scriptures, and as we see from the things that Kate was saying a few weeks ago, the things that we value in the vineyard, we see that justice is at the very heart of the gospel. And over these next year or so, our focus as a church is on the whole subject of justice. Jesus' mission is captured in a, effectively in a single um, vision. It's got these two dimensions to it. Um, Jesus' hope for a, a restored humanity um, envisions well-being for people who are spiritually poor as well as for people who are socially poor. 
And in the midst of it all, righteousness and justice, they're kind of, they like mark the events. They're like the, the gold thread that runs through all of the ministry that Jesus did when he was on earth. And, and Jesus, as we looked at last week, famously begins his ministry on earth. He announces his mission by quoting that passage from Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4 that Tom talked about last week. The spirit of the Lord is on me, on Jesus because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus' focus on this type of justice that he describes it is, is, in effect, the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of God that Jesus announced, the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated, the kingdom of God incarnate in the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God that reflects the true nature and character of its king, the creator, God, and ruler of all. And justice is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is demonstrated in and through these little pieces of heaven on earth. You see, Jesus gave his disciples this clear mandate to do as he did, and that includes um, acting for justice. And if you look back across um, church history time and time again throughout the history of the church, followers of Jesus have understood that this relationship that exists between the good news of Jesus uh, and the gospel and justice. And so seeking justice, seeking real, having a real social concern, these aren't optional extras for us. You know, these are the marks of, the hallmarks of true discipleship. Now, Sometimes you might hear people say, well, you know, I look at the ministry of Jesus, I look at the life of Jesus, you know, and I see Jesus uh, healing the sick and raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, but I don't know that I see him getting involved in these issues of social justice. Um, I mean, didn't Jesus say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? You know, isn't that kind of like Jesus' way of saying, you know, just go with the flow, and, you know, there are just some things that we can't change, and so we shouldn't even try to. Well, this week, I want to try and take a brief look at the, way, the ways in which Jesus ministered what we might call um, social justice. And we don't have time to go into all of the detail of it this morning, but what are some of the ways that Jesus ministered justice in his ministry on earth? The first thing is this. Jesus, ex uh, Jesus included the excluded. Jesus included the excluded. You look at the way that Jesus ministered all the way through, Jesus shows this incredible compassion towards the people who are right on the edges of society. Time and time again, Jesus includes, he brings in, he focuses on, he turns his attention to those people that society would have preferred to have just ignored and excluded. Um, you've got the lepers uh, in, in Matthew 8 and Luke 17 and Mark 4. Um, women, women were so excluded and Jesus included women and we need to focus on how the church views women uh, as part of this series that's going to be a key part of um, the the thing that we're things that we're focusing on over the next year or so um, look at Luke uh, 10 Matthew 9 John um, 20 uh, children another group that were very very marginalized Jesus included Luke 18 Matthew 18 um, and these groups were really um, excluded and marginalized uh, segments of society and Jesus always included the excluded. And we need to be thinking as we think about justice, who are the excluded parts and segments of our society and how as followers of Jesus are we including those people in our lives? 
Second thing is that Jesus challenged culture. Um, you see, Jesus rejecting the, the prejudice and the discrimination of the day uh, through his uh, encounters, uh, th through things like his encounter with the Samaritan woman in um, John 4. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Um, Jesus didn't care about that prejudice and that discrimination that went on. Uh, you see Jesus going around and, and dignifying and honoring what would have been, um, or who would have been called second-class citizens um, through his parables, things like the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. He's challenging the elitism of the culture of the day. And so determined was Jesus to challenge those cultural practices of his day, uh, time and time again, through passages like um, Matthew 9, um, I haven't got time to look at these, uh, Luke 7, Matthew 21, we see Jesus is more than happy to rock uh, the boat, even if it means uh, risking his own reputation. He spends his time hanging out with, he does life with drunks and prostitutes and the, the very dregs of society. You know, could the same be said of all of us as followers of Jesus? But not only did Jesus include the excluded, challenge the cultural practice of the day, Jesus also confronted the powerful, whether it was through challenging unjust behavior, as he did with the tax collector, uh, who were the incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful members of society, uh, that happens in Luke 19 and other places, or whether it's through confronting the spiritually arrogant, as he did with the, the Pharisees. I mean, another extremely powerful group, you know, the religious extremists and uh, potently powerful. Um, in, in Luke 6, uh, Matthew, Matthew 23, whether it's he's calling out political corruption, you see it in Mark Chapter 12, Matthew 20, when Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That lot are corrupt, is what he's saying. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Confronting the powerful. It sounds like the kingdom of God to me. But not only did Jesus include the excluded, challenge cultural practices, confront the powerful, he also advocated for the oppressed. Um, in 1 John 2, Jesus is described as our advocate. And during his ministry on earth, Jesus was an advocate for the poor, whether they were the hungry or the sick or the imprisoned. Um, you see that in Matthew 25. But Jesus also advocates for the privileged, uh, you see it in John 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was incredibly privileged. But Jesus uh, famously says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, and that included the privileged and the wealthy, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus advocates for the poor, he advocates for the privileged, and Jesus advocates for the oppressed. Time and time again throughout the, the Gospels, we see Jesus demonstrating the coming of the kingdom of God by releasing the oppressed and setting them free from demonic oppression, whether that's in Mark 1 or Luke 4 or all over the place, advocating for the poor, advocating for the privileged, and advocating for the oppressed. These are all the justice hallmarks of the kingdom of God. But how are we to work for this kind of justice. You know, when we live under these um, cultural and political systems within social institutions that sometimes just seem so um, resistant to justice. Um, well, the first thing is, 
If we're living under the rule and reign of God's kingdom as followers of Jesus, we will seek justice for those around us. It's, it's a given. But as we think through um, this whole thing, let's just consider some principles which might be helpful for us all. And the first thing that we need to remember is that our primary calling is to a spiritual, not just um, a social or a political justice. And what I mean by that is um, a justice that's rooted in transformation, that comes about as a result of a, a personal encounter with the living God. And as we, as we go out and tackle injustice in the world, um, justice must personally reside in our own hearts and lives. And so um, dealing with greed or how we handle our lust or our pride or our envy or our fear, these things first and foremost um, begin in us. Um, it, it, Peter writes, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This idea of living, that we as followers of Jesus, we should be exemplifying, we should be living such good lives, but those good lives only come about as a result of a spiritual transformation that all starts at the cross of Jesus. Justice on any scale begins with us, and most importantly, it begins in our own hearts. As we challenge you know, the greed of multinational corporations, we need to reflect on whether we've dealt with the greed in our own lives. As we confront those who oppress others on a global scale, we need to reflect on how we treat those who live with us or work for us. Our primary calling is to a spiritual and not just a social or political justice. Jesus died on the cross to conquer all forms of injustice in the world, and the cross is the source of all justice. So that's the first consideration. Our primary calling is to a spiritual justice. Second is this. When we fight for justice and peace in the world, discipleship remains our primary mission. Just have a look at the end of um, Matthew uh, chapter 28. Jesus releases the captives by preaching and demonstrating the good news of the kingdom of God wherever he went. And so if all our efforts to overcome injustice become detached from spiritual transformation and discipleship, we become just or at risk of becoming just another type of probably less qualified social service. And the reason I say this is because all of us who have encountered Jesus for ourselves will testify that it is only spiritual transformation that comes about through giving up and surrendering our lives to Jesus at the cross and then that ongoing process of being transformed into his image through discipleship that can address the root causes of any and all oppression. The rest is really just going to be papering over the cracks. The dismantling of what might be called evil structures is really just a byproduct of the presence of the kingdom of God in our lives. It's not the main event. When people receive the gospel of righteousness and of peace and of joy and turn from their injustice and their greed and their hate, which all of that which comes about by being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, or what we call discipleship, that's when, and it's only when, um, we would have fulfilled our calling um, to free the captives.
So our primary calling is to a spiritual justice, and when we fight for justice and peace in the world, discipleship remains our primary mission. And the third consideration is this. Seeking justice is spiritual warfare. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 12, verse 12 tells us that your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So these evil powers, authorities, um, and institutions um, can sometimes seem to be committed almost, I'm sure they're not, but they can seem to be committed to spreading injustice and oppression and hatred and bigotry and cruelty and tyranny and brutality and all these other things, and, and all these other things that stand against the kingdom of God. People seeking kingdom justice should expect some kind of supernatural opposition and conflict. We are very much in a battle that Jesus has already won on the cross. In sacrificing himself, Jesus has triumphed over evil. And so the cross is the basis for fulfilling Christ's call to justice. Colossians um, 1 verse 19 to 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, all things, which in the Greek means all things, um, whether, you know, things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the, the reality is... Um, you know, as we're going to be looking at justice over the next few weeks and months or whatever, the cross must remain central to any and all of our efforts to fight for justice wherever we see it raise its ugly head. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross that a different kind of warfare, almost, if you like, was introduced. And, and the, weapon, the weapon of that warfare um, is one of self-sacrifice and self-surrender. The weapon in our armory uh, against injustice, then, then it, it, it's, it's not some kind of neo-political militant vigilantism. It's, it's not what we're called to. The weapons we wield, you know, they're not um, retribution and retaliation and revenge. The weapons we wield are love and self-sacrifice and self-surrender and most importantly, submission to King Jesus. You see, Jesus died for a people who love not only their neighbors, but love their enemies. And as followers of Jesus, the call on our lives is to preach the gospel, heal the sick, love the church, and to care for the lost, the widowed, um, and the orphan. In our passionate pursuit for justice, we must be careful to not abandon our posts um, and get drawn into fighting somebody else's war. Our mandate um, is to remain faithful to King Jesus. Our mandate is to serve. Our mandate is to demonstrate love in action and to demonstrate a life characterized by our own personal self-denial and our own personal humble um, service rendered to others. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So wherever there's injustice, there are good works to be done. Um, and we need to be there too. We need to be in the thick of it. We need to be in the midst of it, not merely as militant campaigners, but as loving, serving, self-sacrificial, submitted followers of Jesus. And as we find ourselves in those spaces and those places, and there are plenty of them 
all the time, in all of our lives, every day of our lives, let's bring and let's minister the grace and the righteousness and the justice of the kingdom of God, whether that's in the spiritual realm, whether that's in the physical realm, or whether that's in the social realm. Why don't you stand?